welcome to Hot Singles and Avenged Sevenfold Fancast. I'm joined Shut by Avenged Sevenfold Superfan, Nia. Say hello, Nia. Um, Shut hi. The fuck um, and as a, and as ever, we are joined by our local Avenged Sevenfold expert, Autumn. Shut the fuck up! Shut the fuck up! <laughs> And we've got a fantastic, incredible episode today where we talk about Avenged Sevenfold side project, My Bloody Valentine, and their uh, early 90s magnum opus, Loveless. Shut the fuck up! I fucking hate you! Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Hot Singles. Um, we're covering three albums. The first one of which is Loveless by My Bloody Valentine. An album that Autumn thought was in some way related <laughs> to the band Avenged Sevenfold. I have no idea how. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember. Um, we're also covering uh, Repetition by Unwound. Which is, um, I keep forgetting what's the band and what's the album, but there we go. <laughs> and, um, I don't know how to say this one by C.R.O.S. Algaitis <laughs> Birin by C.R.O.S. Okay, thank you. I should have just had you give me a pronunciation guide before the show so I could not sound like an asshole, but here we are. I mean, uh, it, it's, it's weird Icelandic bullshit. Of course we've got Nier on to talk about weird Icelandic bullshit. Yeah, yeah. That's how it goes. Um, so, here we go. Let's kick it off with... Well, the, the thing about this episode was you revealed, after some random trawling on the internet, that you didn't mm-hmm. actually know what was up with My Bloody Valentine. Yeah. You saw them in the mm-hmm. shoegaze category of Rachel Music and was like, huh, that's not where I was expected. Is that like a reasonable summary yeah. of where we where I we thought got it to? was new metal. I thought my bloody Valentine <laughs> was new metal. <laughs> I, you said this a, already and it still made me laugh. Yeah. It sounds they've got a kind of weird gothy name, you know. Um, yeah. They started as a goth band. <laughs> you know. Um so it felt wrong to leave it with such a, a, a gaping hole in their um musical knowledge. So we're covering one of the great iconic albums of like indie rock history. It's loveless. Can I uh, say the can I say the super mean thought? Just like the needlessly mean, not the thing that I actually believe thought. Go for it. It's no heaven or Las Vegas. Let's not fucking kid hey. ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not fuck around here. It's no heaven or Las Vegas. <laughs> <sighs> okay. I'm good. I got it out of my system. (laughs) (laughs) So, who the fuck are My Bloody Valentine? Um, They're a band with a cool name, I think. Yeah. You know. (laughs) Uh, They are uh, an Irish-English band formed in Dublin in the mid-80s with uh, a, uh, a, a sound that has evolved over time to become pretty definitively what people think of when they think of shoegaze. Unless you're autumn and you've only listened to, to, to Lots of Jesus and Mary Chain and Cocktail <laughs> Twins. Yeah. Um, it's a good way they, to be. Leave me alone. I fuck mean, alone. No, no, no. 
<laughs> no disrespect, but it's how it is. Um, Did you at least know that like slow dive is shoegaze or <laughs> what? It's What's a slow just... dive. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard okay. of this band. What are you fucking so, talking about? So what we can conclude from this is that Autumn likes dream pop. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I like spiritualized. Is that shoegaze? <laughs> We're not going to just keep naming bands and determine whether they're shoegaze can, or not. That's not going to get us any better. I can, <laughs> I'm only day. not doing it because you asked me not to drag this episode <laughs> out. Because I, I can... We this can bit can breathe. Week. Yeah. <laughs> My I Chemical mean, Romance? To... Is that? <laughs> <laughs> Can I throttle this particular baby in the crib? <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, MBV. Um, this is a 1991 album, originally. Uh, by, by all accounts, this was a torturous album to produce. Um, MBV, and particularly guitarist Kevin Shields, are notorious perfectionists. Um, this was an exceptionally expensive and complex album to produce and record. Um, after this album, MBV toured a bunch and then disappeared off the face of the planet until they released another record in 2013, which was a mix of new recordings and also offcuts from the sessions that gave birth to Loveless. The sound of Loveless is iconic. Everyone talks about it. Everyone references it. It's sort of like... A lodestar for noisy guitar music for the rest of time. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's also pretty fucking excellent, I think. It's pretty fucking good. Yeah. It's pretty fucking good. Um, um, yeah. So yeah, Autumn, as a person who hadn't heard this album before, what did you make of it? I I really liked it. Um, I, I did genuinely think, I was like, Maybe because of, like, the conversations we had had about it, I was, like, going in, like, oh, this is gonna, like, fucking change my whole shit. And the thing is that, like, Heaven or Las Vegas hit this for me when I first heard that album, like, a couple years ago, to where, like, I kind of, like, I put on the first track of Loveless, and I was like, okay, I know what this is. Yeah, like, this (laughs) is literally like almost exactly a year after like i understand what this is and i don't i'm not trying to take away from like loveless's influence or anything it just hit that part of my brain and i was like oh what if you made it like there's that meme i love about like what the fuck are cocteau twins saying (laughs) um (laughs) and this this is an album where it's not even the point where like they mix the um vocals like is such a like part of this sort of like atmosphere of the guitars and not like a really a thing that I think you're supposed to be trying to understand, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. It is fucking good. It's fucking good. Yeah. Um, it's a good fucking album. Uh, no, this, I have a different anecdote about a later album. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. That like the texture is the whole thing, right? Like this is mm. an album that's about the sensation of like the loudest guitar you've heard in the world, turning the amps up to eleven, shoving it in your face, and then going fucking ham. Um, yeah. By reputation, they were a band that like caused ear bleeds in people who weren't uh, sensible enough to put earplugs in in their in their like small club gay shows back in the nineties. Yeah, I could uh, see that. 
Um, there, there, there's a fun thing that I realise I hate actually listening to this album on Spotify specifically because <coughs> Spotify has all these sorts of automated um, loudness balancing algorithms yeah. that mean that you don't get songs at the same loudness <coughs> as they're like pegged to be on the record like some songs yeah. on this record are meant to be fucking like brick slab shithouses of um, noise and you can't do that on Spotify that wants to like maintain your like comfortable effectively impassive listening habits and can't let you just be assaulted by noise um yeah so it was really interesting for you. i had um a similar experience listening to it in music b um which is just like it's not a streaming service it's just like an app for listening to mp3s that you have saved on your computer and um like music b has a setting turned on by default that like sort of normalizes, like, if I put on an album, it's going to normalize the whole album or something. Mm-hmm. And so, I got, I remember I got to When You Sleep for the first time, and I was like, this song sounds really thin compared to the others, because it's, like, just a smidge less loud than the others, but because everything gets so normalized by Music B, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it gets, it ends up way quieter, and I was like, oh, is this, like, purposefully, like, sound like thin and compressed and bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had to go in and turn those settings off just to like actually hear what I'm supposed to be hearing. It's a album that, you know, pushes the boundaries of what your computer will let you listen to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes intolerable noise is an extremely good thing. Um, mm-hmm. But that said, like, it's important to talk about the quality of this noise. Like, when we talk about shoegaze, Generally, people think of something that is, like, divinely pretty. Prettiness is, like, a defining feature of the genre. Mm-hmm. And there is so much of this album that's, like, vulgar. Like, I'm not going to say unlistenable. Um, mm-hmm. There are... Tra- it, what, touched is a, an example. Like, I, I remember a, a silly viral tweet going around a couple couple weeks ago that went along the lines of every 10 out of 10 album where every legendary album is made better by the inclusion of absolutely unlistenable garbage somewhere in the runtime. And like <laughs> Bowie's low, I think like satisfies that criteria. I think touched on this record satisfies this criteria of like, what the fuck is this thing doing here? <laughs> um, but more broadly, like this wait, is an wait, album. Wait, 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 wait. What are we saying on low is unlistenable? I don't know. I mean, fucking take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> I love the album, but like sometimes it sounds horrible, you know. <laughs> I don't agree with any of those. Gremlin noises happening here. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, defining defining feature of Shoegaze being prettiness, and this album is, like, not afraid to be incredibly, like, angular and sharp and, like, rough. Um, and I think that's, like, in a very important thing for, like, people who listen to Shoegaze to grasp, that, like, just expansive, beautiful, shiny reverb is not actually going to get you the kind of density and kind of heft that, like, makes Loveless such a weird, strange thing. Um, and also worth noting, like, it also requires a shed load of digital manipulation. This isn't some, like, artistic, uh, auteur, ship like, you've, like, nailed the, nailed your amp and pedal settings. This is also, like, doubling in multiple different channels, like, spreading across the stereo fields, often just, like, doubling with synths and stuff. Like, this mm-hmm. is a densely produced album and it's why it's so meticulous sounding and it's also why it's like impossible to keep making records like this yeah yeah 
Yeah. Um, um, Nia, you really, really, really wanted to be on this record or on the to talk about this record. So I wanted to like give you space. Like, what's your experience with this album? Yeah, this is. Um, this is an interesting album because it is one that I I almost like found in terms of I was kind of trying to like when I was in high school I was getting extremely into isolating music including Sierras which we'll get to and like some of it was like me trying to <laughs> as we'll get into I I kind of recognized that like mainstream Western criticism was failing me in terms of like what is Sierras even doing. Um, and so I kind of had to like take it on myself of like, how am I going to like actually position understanding this? Um, and so I actually kind of found my bloody Valentine through this, like tracing what is what is the like lines that go between like, clearly there are punk roots for CROs to me. Um, but like, how do I like actually trace those back? And part of that was like, finding my bloody Valentine is like a key moment in that, that history. Um, and so for a long time, it's like kind of sat at this place in my mind is like this, this turning point or this, like, um, mm -hmm. like what I think is so amazing about loveless as an album is, um, it, it finds this balance between like the pretty and the ugly in a way that again, like regs is saying like a lot of shoegaze doesn't do. <laughs> um, it, it kind of is just like always kind of just the pretty reverb. And this was this thing that could like, like I could hear so much of the, the heavy distortion and the like rough, angry sounds of punk. And yet it was almost like they turned it up so much and it was so constant that like the way that I often think of this album is if you ever just like throw yourself into a sea or, you know, for me going to Lake Michigan, which is practically a sea, um, and if you're just like in it all day, um, when you first throw yourself in the like waves are hitting you and there's like something intense about it and then you just become acclimated to it and then you leave and you're like laying in bed at night and you can still feel the waves like rocking on your body, even though you're no longer in the ocean. And it, this album has that effect for me where like I start listening to it and I'm like, wow, this is just like hitting me with all of this like reverb and distortion and everything is just so blown out. Um, and then I get in the middle and there's like, like there are some great songs, but especially once I'm getting around to like, um, where's the one I even like took notes. Um, <laughs> it's like coming alone. Yeah. This is the one where I wrote it. I was like, listen, I don't mean to be a bitch, but like once you really get into the core of the shield stuff on this album in particular, it kind of just starts to blur. Like, mm there's this moment where I just kind of stop realizing that songs are changing. Um, I'm like vaguely aware of it. And yet it is just so like, it's also loud in this way that it, it, um, I think in some ways it's the point though. It's like this drowning out of, of like everything going on with just like, like this album reminds me, although it is not what was being played. It reminds me so much of like being outside of a punk show and you mm -hmm. can just hear everything blasting so loud, but there's also like this weird muffled deadness because there's the wall in between you. Um, yeah. And you've just been like moshing and your like body like kind of just hurts from moshing and you're just like sitting out there smoking a cigarette before you go back in. Like this album captures that far more than a lot of actual punk albums do for me. Um, 
because of the way that they are mixing this, the way that they are producing it is so much actually capturing that like moment when you're at a show and everything is just a little bit too loud that it is no longer you really processing like the dynamics and more just you like being hit with the sound constantly. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the, the sort of thing that I really got like that made this album like instantly click for me was just the sort of like, it's sort of like immediately, like as soon as it comes on, like just kind of like transports me out of my body and just like into like this, just like, like it is all encompassing, you know? Um, like it is just, it is the only thing that you're doing is this album, you know? Um, yeah. Even if you are like, like I played the crossword while listening to this album one time recently, like I did it, but like, this is what I would, this is what I'm doing. Like, this is like, just eats you up. <clears throat> It's it's so interesting because like I totally agree, and there is this is also an album with tracks like "Blown a Wish" or to or um yeah to hear knows when which like are as about as floaty and as like indistinct as you can possibly get, and the fact that they've managed to find something that is so grabbing and so like totalizing and overwhelming, while also genuinely being indistinct in places like we've talked about like only shallow starts with like four snare hits and then just a blast of guitar noise like it doesn't get more concrete and in your face than that there are tracks like uh i don't know sometimes or something like that like big iconic riffs that just like hammer at you like constantly that's not what the whole of the album is like there are moments that are genuinely like woozy and all over the place um yeah and that the ability to like still be so gripping in those moments is like a testament personally to me in that case of like just how extraordinary and impressive the sound is. Um, mm-hmm. There is something so texturally like beautiful about To Hear Knows When that like will just make it one of my favorite tracks ever because like it manages to somehow like have this like dulcimer softness at the same time as like like a gripping intensity to it. Yeah. Um, to Hear Knows When is probably one of my favorite. It might be my favorite song on this album. Um there's i go back and forth but um like yeah both to hear knows when and blown a wish are really big ones for me soon is also really good um i think those are like sometimes sometimes is the one that uh really really hit for me as well sometimes Um, it's just an incredible riff just incredible (laughs) incredible um but like to hear knows when like i'm i'm just listening to hear knows when currently and um, one of the other things that I find really fascinating about this album is like one, there is that capturing of being at the the show and being like, like even when you're listening to the recorded, having that feeling um, of just everything a little bit too loud and like where it's actually hitting your body. Um, but then something like here knows, uh, yeah, here knows when there's this like quality to the way that things are like almost kind of uh warbling a little bit that like also reminds me of i listened to a lot of vinyl as a kid um Mm -hmm. like we didn't have a cd player until i was like in middle school i think or no it was like late elementary school um 
And so mostly it was cassettes and vinyl. And both of those are medium where if you listen to something a lot, it will start to warble. Um, Mm -hmm. And so also even within like the recording, like there's a moment where I was listening to it this time and I I got files online to after realizing it like the Spotify version, (laughs) I got files (laughs) online to listen to it. Um, And I was just like, in my memory, there was this warble. And I just assumed that that was, like, from how I was listening to it. (laughs) Not Uh, that it's, like, recorded in there. That, like, within the recording itself, within the record itself, is also this, like, the first time that anyone listens to it. Almost the sense of, like, you've listened to it so many times. Um, Mm -hmm. That I also find fascinating about just, like, the way that that they've produced this. Um, Yeah. And yeah, to Here's No When, I, I even wrote a note here. Early Sierra so clearly listened to this one. <laughs> 100%, yeah. Um, but yeah, so like just in terms of if anyone who doesn't actually know, the thing that is happening is the guitarists, Belinda and uh, Belinda Butcher and Kevin Shields, are generally holding a whammy bar in their hands as they mm-hmm. are strumming. And they're strumming with so much compression and overdrive that you can't actually hear distinct hits on the strings. But as they're playing, they're pressing the whammy bar in and out, or sometimes bending the guitar neck back and forwards, changing the tension on the on the strings and causing those sort of pitch undulations, um, <laughs> and or in a very like natural and organic way, um, which gives it this sort of weird like lurching quality, um, sort of like swells and sucks. Um, it's a thing that loads of people have tried to replicate in all sorts of different ways, um, but I think yeah, just, like, I wanted to. Can we talk about uh, something, which is yeah. that When You Sleep is a broken social scene song? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all. Yeah, no, it's it's just a pop song. Sometimes you yeah, write a really you... fucking good pop song. Yeah. I just listened to it, and I genuinely thought that I had, like, put on broken social scene for, like, half a second as the melody kicks in. Well, yeah, to be it honest. It really if... is disorienting. Yeah, if... <laughs> If it was a broken social scene song, instead of like weird affected voice synths as a top line, it would mm. be trumpets, and that's the only difference. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so you're saying a uh, CRS? <laughs> hey, <laughs> I, I will. I will fully admit that, um, especially on this album, is where I feel it the most distinctly. Uh, the songs where it's Belinda, I'm like, hell yeah, this rocks. And then when it gets to Shields, I'm like. Uh, these are my my less favorite songs. They're a little bit poppier. They're, uh, yeah, it's just always, like, I, I don't know exactly where the distinction comes from, but for me, When You Sleep is really good, and yet I find it less fascinating than some of the other stuff. Like, it feels more like it's just a pop song to me. Um, whereas some of, like, what comes before it on the record is... Like, it makes me still excited in a way that When You Sleep, I'm just like, oh, this is just a really good song. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. For me, it's a, a strange one in that, like, I don't think they could work without counterbalancing each other. Like, an album yeah. of pure indistinction would be less gripping, less thrilling. Would be Vaughn by CRS. <laughs> there we go. Um, <laughs> and an album of pure noise might great. And I'm not, like, obviously, like, if there's anything to say about Loveless and MBV in general, it's their ability to make noise that somehow doesn't grate, despite being the loudest thing you've ever fucking heard, is remarkable. But like, yeah. I've listened to bands like Mogwai. Sometimes they make quite un- unartful, very loud, impressive noise. Um, <laughs> not to like on Mogwai, but their new stuff just sometimes feels that to me. Um, the, uh, the the point being that like, I 
know the flow of this album so, so intimately that like, I couldn't really imagine them not sitting beside each other because they are like each other's like necessary, like, like reference point. Um, I love them both <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> would happily go between, yeah, like Luma and Tahino's when back and forth day after day after day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other other song that always sticks out to me is when you get to what you want. Um, that's just the one where I listen to it and I'm like, oh, I can like very clearly see the like punk and noise and You're and right. like grunge underpinning <clears throat> this as well. Yeah. Um, it's the one where you can like really see the oh here's like the connections with what's going on with grunge scene as well. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, have you heard any other MBV? No. So, I think it's worth just playing the, the Obligatory Hot Singles live listen. Just, like, yeah. the sorts of things that MBV were doing before this record. Because it's like, you'll hear it. It's, it's the thing it is. And you can see the lines as they lead towards where they end up. But it's it's a whole different thing. Uh, can we, we want to listen wanna... to this together? Or... Yeah, okay, I think cool. so. Yeah. Uh, three... Two, one, go. Okay, yeah. 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 As soon as the vocals kick in, I'm like, okay, so what if you made the guitar sound like those vocals sound like, and then you get the album? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, clearly they are listening to a ton of, like, Sonic Youth is the first thing that comes to mind when I hear that intro. Um, yeah. Just like angular, somewhat atonal, um, noisy, like chunky. But then like they are clearly so interested in like beautiful tableaus of harmony um, and finding ways to integrate them together while being really loud and aggro. <laughs> it's a very hard task. But you can see all the components are like building from yeah. a, like from a noise rock, from a post-punk background, all the way to build into what she gets from us. Yeah, especially when it gets to, like, Loveless, one thing I often wonder is, are either of you very familiar with Glenn Branca? No. No. Um, let me pull this up. So Glenn Branca was part of, like, what was happening in the no-wave scene. Um, a lot less well-known, like... Um, I would kind of class this along with, like, James Chance and the Contortionist, which... Um, I'm like currently pulling up Glenn Branca lesson number one, which is, I believe the first one, it's like the, the big thing. Um, here, I will, I will send this in the chat. Um, and his whole thing was that he essentially wrote symphonies for electric guitar. Um, <laughs> so we can do a three, two, one here if we want as well. But I, yeah. I always feel like there, there's something in Glenn Branca that I like here coming into um, my bloody valentine and also like i think there's a, a certain related to what mbv was doing but also like slightly separate this like post-rock current that i think also actually takes a lot from glenn branca who was working in like this punk space originally mm -hmm. um i mean it, to be honest like hiding in the background of all of this is velvet underground like there yeah. is a a very strong yeah white light white heat is all over this yeah exactly yeah um the the the, the, the like lines of continuity become very very clear and like the the ways of in which like 
attempting to fucking I'm gonna say metal machine music and just be the Lou Reed asshole that I want to be like there is <laughs> there is something like gleeful about the 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 like deployment of both not merely just like noise but also like technologically managing noise in exciting and compelling ways in artistically like fruitful ways yeah um. that like marks out um uh velvets and it like seems like it's very very vital here but yeah, should we listen to the Glen Branco track? Yeah. Uh, uh, three, one count. Two, one, go. Um. So, I think as he went on, he he got a little bit more where he was playing with distortion, but um. Okay. The thing is, this is like a, an eight-minute track. It's a three. Yeah. It's a three-track like EP that I released that I think is like forty minutes long or something. Um, yeah. So it's definitely where you get some of this like longer tendency in music as well, uh, and like some of the, especially post rock, like really veers into really long tracks. Um, yeah, you can kind of hear how like right now it's building and it it's just going to like continue to layer in sounds to like build out the soundscape. Yeah, I mean this immediately screams Steve Reich to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And yeah, like, you don't get Sonic Youth without Glenn no. Branca. Um, mm. It's making me dizzy. <laughs> <laughs> um, this lesson number one is just an incredible, like, EP, I guess, or album. Um, yeah, I want to listen to the rest of that later. Yeah, I, I still have it going, and, like, we're starting to get these, like, pretty harmonic elements coming in um and this is just the stuff where like i can really feel some of this this like how do we create these harmonic sounds with electric guitar um it's all over like mbv and a a lot of other stuff that that came after as well yeah no this is gorgeous thank you for this (laughs) um honestly I feel like there's also a tiny bit of, like, James Chance and the contortionist in here, but he was just extremely, like, just very abrasive pulling from, like, jazz music. Uh, it's very different than this. <laughs> <laughs> um, lots of just, like, yelping and screeching on James Chance stuff. Um, the impression I get from him is that he was, like, probably always on some sort of upper. <laughs> <laughs> It's um, a way to be. It's honestly a way to be. Um, I will give it a, as a general shout out because this is a space that I find really fascinating. One of my favorite, favorite albums is Sonic Youth has an album called SYR 4 Goodbye 20th Century. Yeah. Which is basically them playing a bunch of modern and contemporary classical stuff. Uh, Steve Reich's on here, Pauline Olivares is here, Christian Wolf's here. I'm trying to think. Uh, who, uh, Yoko Ono. Um, Takei Sakosugi. Um, like a bunch of big names in modern classical stuff just getting together with uh, mostly the bands of um, members of Sonic Youth plus Jim O'Rourke, who appears everywhere for good reason. Um, and yeah, playing stuff that is very similar in to this kind of space. Um, just a personal shout, because I, I think it knits together a lot of like, it, this could being in 1999, like 
after the fact, after this is all like worked its way through the system, like where it ends up and where these people are still like playing their trade a couple of years later. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like that's. I don't want to say this is like a, an album that ends up being effectively simple to talk about because it's just so fucking good to me. Like this is a mm. perfect album. To yeah. Me. Like. like I, I don't even need to fucking be around the bush. Like this is a perfect album. I wouldn't change anything. None of none of it never ever bores me. I always find it gripping and thrilling, and like it is also <laughs> defined the whole chunk of like the the sound world that I'm interested in ever like thinking about and entering into and making. Um, it's just good. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, did... I even I even love the brief lurching diversion into like half remembered old movie horror soundtrack that is touched <laughs> yeah um there are like two little incidental things that i wanted to bring to people's attention one is the final track is sue um yeah mbv i'm not sure about whether they were ever cool like they were like underground darlings and that means a thing but there is also like what was happening in the UK in 1991 was the sort of like weird, reluctant accrual of grunge into the indie scene that had been like post-punk for a long time. Um, and then slowly it being overturned by nascent Britpop. And Britpop is a weird animal and no one actually likes it anymore. It's fallen <laughs> very out of favor. However, for good however, reason. yeah. Um, however, there is like this... <laughs> Bizarre, incredible moment where, um, like, indie rock somehow started sounding just as much like pop music as it did noise rock. And this, like, bizarre moment where you get an MBV track that has this weird break sample on it just, like, throws me every single time. Um, the thing I just wanted to chuck in as, like, referential listening is one of the great pop tracks of the early 90s in the UK, um, Fool's Gold by the Stone Roses, which is a sort of like hip-hop track. It's a funky drama break the fuck for is a funky bass line. What the fuck am I listening to? <laughs> what? It's a hip-hop break with a funky bass line on it, and then eventually some like disaffected British dude singing over it. Like, it is exactly what you think it is. At the same time, like, this is defining what would become cool and, like, where Oasis and Blur would emerge from and, like, make the... Let's say, like, is this what fucking the gorillas were listening to as kids? <laughs> Jesus, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I um, this was. But, like, the proximity of Fool's Gold to Soon is, like, they're in touch and listen to each other. Um, like, I don't want to understate how weird it is that you get the, like, weird shuffly sampled breaks on one of the most like <laughs> the group like expansive. I only just remembered that Damon Albarn was in Blur <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I was waiting for that to work its way through the system but yes, yes, that yes. Is the you're talking about. I only just remembered that I had to go I was like uh this I don't want to say that this was and be wrong <laughs> I thought that was the joke yeah no, I, I simply gave you more credit than you were actually due <laughs> no I just... <laughs> nope just an idiot, it's fine. No. Um, but yeah, just the, the point that, like, mawkish early 90s, like, Britpop weirdness was not too far away from what MBV were up to. Yeah. And that brings me to the 2013 album, because the 2013 album's fucking incredible as well. But it's structured... Is it really? 
I, I think it's pretty incredible. Um, I just assume that all of these sorts of things are bad. No. So this is the thing. It has a, a three-part structure, I'll say. It broadly goes three crazy dense tracks, three pretty woozy tracks, and then three bullshit nonsense pieces of noise. Um, so I'll start off th- just as we go through the pieces of noise. In another way, loud, whiny, drums first, clattering mess that I actually think is secretly one of the best written songs they've ever put together. Just I think the hook is incredible. Um, Nothing is. Raging, driving, double time smasher. And Wonder 2 is shoegaze drum and bass. It's a a 170-ish BPM break that's got a massive flanger on it, like sweeping through the track. And that slowly just like swells into a clatter. It's bizarre, but like... I yeah. can't imagine this band going 170 BPM. It's <laughs> hard to I mean, wrap my head around. Fucking thing. It's, weird drum and bass experiment is apparently a thing they were up to in the early 90s. Um, but what I will say is my favorite MBV track is not on Lovelets. It's on MBV, um, which is maybe a bit sacrilegious, but it's just true. So there you go. Um, <laughs> if you want to give it a listen, it's Who Sees You. I think it's a perfect piece of music. Um, okay. And I will love it for the rest of my life. Um, if we are about to transfer away, I, I want to do one little thing as well. Because, um, Autumn, I don't think you've heard any of MBV's very first mm. release. This is <laughs> your bloody Valentine. <laughs> no. And I just want to share... So this is Inferno. This might be my favorite... Um, song off of the album i don't know if we want to do a countdown for this this one i'm just hitting play i'm hitting play play. yeah (laughs) okay this one doesn't make sense to me the other one i was like okay yeah sure okay now that the guitars are here i'm like okay this is a snail snail mail just wait for the vocals to hit (laughs) this is a smith song you tricked me it's a fucking Smith track. I mean, I, d- I didn't want to say, you said you were confused. I heard that the booming reverb on the sound. I'm like, ah, oh, it's a Smith track. It's kind of simple. Yeah, no, it was just... Down to it. I had the volume low on YouTube, so the first thing I hear is, like, the kick drum and the bass. And I'm like, that's fucking simple. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't hold a candle to Bella Lugosi's dead, but, um... My goth heart left this album. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's fucking good is Bauhaus. Bauhaus is fucking incredible. You're not fucking wrong. We started putting that song in there sort of as a joke, but then I just started listening to a lot of Bauhaus. It's fucking great. <laughs> you should do that. Everyone should do that. Shout out to Bauhaus. Um, with that, I think like it's not really much more to say. It's a fucking incredible album. Everyone, everyone will probably already knows it. Um, if you don't. Here you go. It's stunning. I it's obviously incredible, but like, yep. you didn't need us to tell you that. We found the one person who didn't know it, and now we're telling them about it. There we go. Yeah. It's, it's done. We can move on. Um, what we're going to move on to? We're going to move on to "Repetition" by Unwound. So, 
I get to do a second bio because I effectively yes. got two picks for this one. Yes. So, Unwound are a post-hardcore band from Olympia in Washington State. They are sort of like part of the larger nexus of like noisy rock music coming from the Pacific Northwest that very much includes in this era Riot Girl stuff. Um, as well as just a bunch of hardcore and post-hardcore stuff. Um, I picked this album for a bunch of different reasons. Um, the most significant one was I didn't want an album I was desperately emotionally attached to to go up against um, Loveless and look bad. <laughs> um, so I picked an album that I think is very good, but that also I don't mind if we think is worse than Loveless, which is a, a you thankless know, task for any album. You know what I was thinking about this morning, actually? Um, was how we all roast you for bringing um, that St. Vincent record to mm. the podcast. And s- miraculously, no one roasts me for earnestly bringing a Vampire Weekend album <laughs> to this podcast. <laughs> no one cares. Yeah. I'm uh, untouchable. <laughs> people have different standards, you know? <laughs> I, I think part of it was just that you all got good conversation out of Vampire Weekend, whereas the St. Vincent was just like, yeah, I don't, I this don't know. This is trash. What's going on here? Um, but, but to be, to, I mean, to be fair, someone, one of the people in this call is just a small cat. So yeah, yeah. Um, so Unwound, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an album I really like, but one I'm less like desperately worried that it's going to go up against Loveless and look marginally worse in comparison. But also what I wanted to do was like, what else can people who've listened to a lot of Sonic Youth do with their guitars, basically? Um, what else can you do when you're like interested in noise and ag- uh, <laughs> an aggression, but like channel it in different ways? Um, and I think it's a really, really interesting album because so um, you're a person who says you don't like when people scream on a record, right? I was waiting for this. <laughs> <laughs> so th- it's not a screamy record at all, but it does start off with message received, right? Mm. So, so, yeah. Let me tell you my little anecdote about this album. Um, which is that, um, listeners, I'm at the end of a very hard week. Um, uh, I just worked six days in a row, seven, eight, nine hour days every single day. Um, and when I was younger, I used to smoke a lot. Um, and I have quit, but on Sunday I like left work, just upset, bad mood, bought, bought my first pack of cigarettes in a couple years. And on my way to the gas station, I start listening to unwound and I'm like, I, I guess I guess I get it. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. This is all right. Uh, and then I have my first cigarette and for the first time in like years, and I'm like, ah, I see now. <laughs> 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 when you stick to angrily smoke too. Yes. <laughs> I'm just literally like sitting in my car outside. Um, I. <laughs> So I bought, I stopped at the gas station to get cigarettes and then I drove somewhere else to buy weed. And I'm like sitting outside the place where I bought weed, smoking this first cigarette in like years. And I'm like, aha, now I get it. <laughs> <sighs> huh. 
and I mean, a part of that emotional register and the, the repertoire that you're drawing from there is just screaming a bit, just a little bit, just a yeah. little, a, yeah. a, just a droplet, a morsel of scream. <sighs> um, <laughs> well, and also it's not the, it's not the screaming, actually. It is the loudness and the, uh, pardon the pun, like repetition of everything. Yeah. Just like fingernails on a chalkboard, fingernails, like over and over and over, just like sort of like drilling into my brain. Um, helped a lot. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad it had a, um, had a, had a purpose for you. It, um, it, it reminded me a lot of, um, Jawbreaker when I used to be really into Jawbreaker as a kid, mm. um, probably around the time I was starting smoking for the first time. <laughs> um, Jawbreaker is doing more songwriting, I think, than Unwound is. Um, or a very different kind of songwriting, at least. Very different. Very closer to, like, singer-songwriting. Singer-songwriter-songwriting, yeah, exactly. you know? Uh, whereas this is sort of like constructing a punk math puzzle. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is exactly where I wanted <laughs> to head with it. Um, because, yeah, like, this is loud and angry and noisy and, like, punky in the sense of, like, it is, like, brutal and the guitar tones are, like distorted to, to shit like not indistinct they're, they're like they're spiky and in your face and the bass is like big and fat and wants wants to like rub your skin off like sandpaper but but from the word go there are bizarre things going on harmonically um this is why i love this album so much it is it takes so many left turns in, the, in terms of the songwriting and not because it's like got like big extended sections in complexity, but because just like chord choices and like tones and colors are just sometimes off the fucking wall, just like progressions that are unrelated to pre well chord progressions that include lots of unrelated relation, uh, relationships between chords next to each other and extended toned with tritones and weird sevenths and ninths and bizarre extensions in them. It's just a, it's a, it approaches massiness, but without any of the like self-referential bullshit associated with massiness. Yeah. Uh, in a way I find incredibly impressive because it wears it so lightly. It wears it so lightly in that like all of this is in service of just creating a very angular punk record, a very yeah. angular post-hardcore yeah. record. Um, I like that you're so British you say maths rock. Did I say maths rock? <laughs> You yes, said mathsiness. <laughs> oh, maths, mathsiness is an adjective. I totally stand by. It. I would not get caught dead saying maths rock. That that's that's <laughs> a little. I I would deport myself to America if I said maths rock. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, the fact that it's so like harmonically complex but doesn't make a big fucking deal out of the fact it's so harmonically complex is mm. a thing I find intensely appealing when the alternative is listening to actual math rock, which... <laughs> which no one wants, should ever do that. Well, which wants you to know just how, <laughs> like, dense and silly it is at every single moment. Like, yeah. the, 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 the trick it's pulling here is, like, very, very impressive, to me at least. It's it's an enjoyable album. Um, it's one that I like. I I just don't have a lot to say about this. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. That's right. 
I listened um, to this twice, and I was like, oh, that's really good. And then I was like, it didn't, like, you know, like, drill into my brain in the way that I was, like, listening to My Bloody Valentine just over and over and over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> so it might also just be a habit of the sort of music that I'm into listening to that, like, the repetitious quality, the, like, it getting drilled in over time with these, like, incessant, like, bass lines or whatever it might be. Um, or, like, chugging angular guitar lines, thinking about... Uh, unauthorized biography having that just like stab it has both it has the guitar stabs and this like in like different harmonic space like like obnoxiously major bass line um if both of those are the sorts of elements that like turn like clockwork in my head in a way that i find incredibly satisfying and i think that might just be like the bit of me that just loves listening to electronic music that follows the same sort of like progressive patterns or like I was thinking about um go to Dallas and take a left is like is like three steps to the right of like a uh of a like song off discovery in some ways Mm. you know (laughs) the way that the way that go uh, go to Dallas and take a left builds and builds and builds and builds and then like breaks into um just total like cacophony like unlistenable like (laughs) (laughs) nightmare sounds (laughs) um whereas like a daft punk song like does that same building process and then breaks out into like oh we're dancing now (laughs) we've been (laughs) dancing but now we're really dancing yeah But yeah, no, like it, it just in terms of the, the the way things are structured, it's put together much more in that like, put in it's it's less of the singer songwriter thing, and I think that's a that's something that like, I, I f- again find appealing that it can abstract itself in that way, um, mm-hmm. but I also think it's just like when it does want to write songs, you get Corpse Pose and Lady Elect, which I think are just like genuinely extraordinary pieces of music. This is the this is the rare album where I um I feel like I liked the second half of the album a lot better than the first half. Like Lady Elect onward is uh-huh. fucking great. Um uh, For Your Entertainment is not my favorite, but um Lady Elect through like Go to Dallas and Take a Left, just bangers. Yeah. Just bangers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, like for me, bookending the album with the only two tracks that really go all the way into the, uh, the the screamy vocabulary is like, it's just fine. You're allowed to have that level of just like, like in your face emotional expression, and it's important to me that it has that. Um, for your entertainment, it is like intensely cathartic to me. I really, really love it, but it's mm-hmm. never going to be the same as like Lady Elect, which I think is like, just like a beautifully artfully constructed like expansive rock track. Um, yeah. A thing that also helps, and I don't know if this is a thing that will translate to people who know hardcore a bit better. Um, a problem I often have with hardcore and like generally American interpretations of noisy rock music is that unless they're very explicitly in the like, uh, like that that artful indie lane. I often find the guitar tones themselves kind of obnoxious. Like it's a thing that really turns me off about a lot of like anything from like black metal through to hardcore through to emo. Like there's a something about American approaches to noisy guitar tones and aggressive guitar tones that just turns me the fuck off. And I don't, I like, 
I know a bit about the, the sort of change that people are using and I don't really know what it is, but there we go. Um, I love the sound of this album. I, I think the, just the, 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 the aesthetic thing, starting with the, like, the, this, like, cutesy, um, modern style serif, uh, sans serif font and, like, all the rep- re- repeated text in the, uh, I can't remember what it looks like, but, like, some industrial or technical inside of a laboratory thing as the artwork um and that like monochrome starkness that, that's something i just like i fucking get on with this this is exactly the sort of shit that i'd be uh, trying to put together um <laughs> um this is a, i enjoy this album a lot there are moments where i can feel the like slightly snide high school in high schooler in me come out mm-hmm. um one of the big ones is like every time I hear sensible, there's a moment where I start grooving and then my brain's just like, Oh yeah, I also listened to the clash in high school. <laughs> um, <laughs> Who didn't? Cause it's just such a, like, especially Sandinista song. Like it's just, Oh, we listened to like some music that's happening in reggae and stuff. And we, we made this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I do enjoy it a lot though. Yeah, I mean, there are, like, more historically acclaimed and, like, an album that I thought about picking after I picked this album was like, oh, I forgot about this, but might have been a bit more of a rough going, was Slint Spiderland. Which oh, is like, yeah. Which is one of the more abstract, esoteric, and ex- expansive, like, <laughs> post-rocky versions of this sound. Um, it's a fantastic album, and if you're liking this and want it to be less, like... I don't know, aggro, post-hardcore-y. Uh, post, um, post like, slints right there. You can go listen to that album. It's amazing. Um, but the, the the thing I wanted to do is, like, keep it, keep it focused because, like, it is so easy when you're dealing in that sort of shoegazy space to just, like, let things float away. Um, and this is a tight album. Like, something about it's got the sort of, like, neuroticism and drive to it that I just appreciate coming off the back of MBV. <laughs> Yeah. Is that about all we've got? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm just gonna stand for the couple of like pop tracks that I think on it are great. That's that's good enough for me. Um. So, I think it's about time to turn this over to you, Mia. Yeah. So, um, I when I first so. Before you even announced that you were doing this episode, I, I told Autumn that I wanted to be on for My Bloody Valentine if you did it, and then Autumn just forgot about me. Yeah, man. Um, but it was nice because at the time, the first pick I would have done was Holidays in Europe by Kuk, which is a great album and I will probably bring at some point. Um, but as I was just starting to think about Icelandic music and listening to My Bloody Valentine, I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I should bring Algeta Spirin. <laughs> um, <laughs> because there's just, one, there's so much to, to say in terms of, like, what it, what are they doing with what, like, My Bloody Valentine did? What How is, like, Sierros, like, picking that stuff up and making it into something that's more their own? And that I think honestly defined, like, another, you know, decade of music. Um, yeah. Like to be to be very clear, like when uh, we made the joke earlier about, of course, Neil brought on some Icelandic bullshit, but like, no, very seriously, this album was not only huge, but like set a template that everyone from like, I don't know, the the like, the the like sweetest and most like 
beautiful and uh, like delicate of indie rock art is through to like fucking Coldplay was like playing out of for the next decade and a half. Yeah. Um, it's also just, it, it's a thing where like, there is a lot of music that is extremely, uh, important and big in Iceland. And then the, what is popular in like abroad is different. Um, and this is one of the like few cases where like they did it 2000 because I think it was when it hit the States. Uh, but like Pitchfork, which I'm going to have beef with, but they, they called it the number two best album of 2000. The, the one that they put ahead of it was uh, Radiohead Kid A, which I would well, quibble with, album. but it's a, it's a pretty good album. I don't know if it beats. Nee, you actually going to sit on this podcast and assert that Kid A should not be the best album of whatever year it was released in? <laughs> I'll, I'll fucking do that. It's my yeah. fucking podcast. <laughs> Shit. I forgot, um, I, I forgot this. <laughs> we'll get but, there one day. <laughs> it, it is also widely regarded within Iceland to be, like, the greatest Icelandic album. Um, and again, this is this is, like strange and unique because within Iceland, the most popular Björk album is Glinglow, an album that you've probably haven't even heard of before. Uh, <laughs> even if you're into, even if you're into Björk, um, yeah. it was like her doing like big band. <laughs> um, the most popular sugar cubes song is Luft guitar, a song about playing the air guitar that like most people don't, it's not on one of their albums. So a lot of people in the U S don't know it. Um, so this is like this, this weird, um, thing where it just like was extremely big in Iceland and blew up uh in the same way in the states but also got interpreted very differently um but I want to provide a little background for the band as a whole because I especially want to tie them in to like we talked about Loveless we talked about My Bloody Valentine um so yeah, they, they started out as various garage bands with various names, including the most funny one here is Korn, K-O-R-N. Um, <laughs> and I think this, to some degree, like, kind of captures how they were viewed for, for a while in Iceland, which is that, like, a lot of people kind of thought that they were a joke. Um, their stage performances were very, like, kind of jokey and um, playing around. Um in this very stilted way as well. And so this also tied in with the first album Vaughn took forever to release. And so they kept saying like, we're going to release it. And then like years were passing. And so people thought that was part of the joke. And it was literally, they were just broke. They couldn't like finish the album. Um, but apparently when they first started, their sound was very like, um, budget smashing pumpkins. Um, said with like full derision that is so here. disrespectful <laughs> to who exactly wait <laughs> to Sierros, yeah. i guess yeah i don't know <laughs> i i mean i think so the thing that they say is that like they they were playing this music but it, it was just kind of what they were doing in like garages um and then they went into an eight-track studio to try and record something and they recorded this song called uh Fliuthu, which means like fly like the the imperative like you fly. Um, and it, it was very different than what they were doing in these like garage band settings. Um, and it's really where they felt like they found their sound. Um, I can actually link it cause this released, it came out under the name, um, 
Victory Rose. So first they actually had the name of the band in English. Um, but I can I will send this link here if we all want to yeah. <laughs> do a countdown. Um, uh, go uh, three, two, one, go. Um I don't know why this video says out about here to her because that's not the song, but uh, this is what they look like at the time, like a bunch of hippies. <laughs> and I think in this song, you can still kind of hear a little bit of that like Smashing Pumpkins vibe, okay. but they are starting to hit okay. at something a little bit different. Um, and so this song was recorded in 1994 and appeared on a compilation called Smeklese Halva Old, which is like a half a century of bad taste. It was by the, the record Smeklese, which is the record label created by the Sugar Cubes, um, and was for the 50th anniversary of like the independence of Iceland. Uh, they released this as like kind of a joke. Um, they showed up uh, towards the very end of the, the compilation, right uh, after a song by Curver, and then the track after it was a jazzy track by Bjork that like sounds the most like the stuff that was on Glinglo. Um, and in 1994, they actually started recording their first album, Vaughn, and most of it they were able to record for free in exchange for painting the studio that they were recording in. Um, <laughs> around this time is also when they decided to change from Victory Rose to Sioros, make it the, the Icelandic name. Um, and I think kind of started moving into stuff that's even more clearly like I'm gonna I'm gonna link here. Um, we can listen to this one as well. This is off of Vaughn. This is Mirker. Uh, there's a lot of like weird experimental tracks in this that are just purely noise. But um, we can start playing this one, and like you can really hear the MBV here. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I was gonna say the the first track you linked. Sounds a bit like the MVB track when they left the demo acoustic part from when they were songwriting in the mix. But this note yeah. just like has fully graduated to like they have figured out how to like integrate the everything they're they're interested in putting in. Right. Um And so this is where you start getting like this feels particularly like it is pointing towards some of the later stuff they'll they'll do. Um Vaughn also has a lot of tracks that um there's some interesting things but like the, the first track just ends in a bunch of screaming um, <laughs> like they were just clearly messing around with sounds um, but they record most of Vaughn in 1995 but it takes them over two years for it to finally be released um, and actually the reason why it's released is Smeklesa was doing this banner called um, Sky Lutherachioma which means like um, it's like the, the horns played I'm trying to think of like the the best way to to translate this, um, but this was uh, sort of a an eight like it was. Here are some smaller like weirder, more experimental things. Um, let's like find this and and do this um, like little release of eight of them. And so Curver, who they previously appeared for, and was kind of a, a mainstay. Um, in the scene at this time in particular, um, he was doing like these things were just be him alone on stage with like a loop machine and like a drum machine and just like playing music and looping and, and doing weird, interesting things. Um, 
And so he handpicked them for it. And that's how it like finally was able to get released because it was kind of like getting the support. Um, notably in the same banner is released this album uh, by Angeri. Um, and I'm just going to like link to this one. It is um, very different, but I think is like important for understanding the, the direction of a lot of Icelandic music. Um, and so Angeri, we can do a three, two, one here. Um, and I guess I can start okay. talking then. Uh, three, two, one, play. Um, so, and Harry is uh, two people. Erbert Thorson Smaurson and Gunnar Tynes, who go on to found Moon, um, which is just like a major defining uh band for like the the movement that would get again contested term but like named crew um and this is like obviously pulling from some of the stuff that was happening in twee and especially like swedish pop at the time um and really what they would develop into later is like this more mixing of electronic and acoustic sounds whereas this is just a little bit more of like a rocking album um but this is like released as part of that that same um, small banner, and Vaughn sells 317 copies in its first year, which, in a lot of Western stuff, you'll see cited as being like, oh, such a an uninspiring um, turnout. But considering it was like an experimental album from a weird uh, up and coming band that a lot of people thought was a joke. Um, 317 is actually fairly impressive. Um, this is, this was fairly <laughs> impressive compared to a lot of the other albums that were being released under this banner. Um, it was kind of specifically a thing for, hey, here's this kind of like uh, stranger stuff that's happening. Let, let's like look into it a little bit. Um, so um, they then start working on the new album and at the same time, there's a remix album called Van Brigte, which is a, a play on words. Um, Brigte kind of means like change or reclaim, but the word Van Brigte means disappointment. And so it's a remix album of Van called Disappointment. <laughs> um, and basically doing a bunch of stuff on, on side things. They're kind of becoming like an indie darling in Iceland at this time. Um and are working on Augustusburian, which then comes out um, on. Let me just like find the the specific date here. Um, it comes out on July twelfth, nineteen ninety nine, and the day of the release of the album, they hold a massive, really ambitious concert. Uh, the stage is highly decorated with flowers. They're projecting images of like nature and things on the screen behind them. Um, this style of concert will become a mainstay for them. It, like if people have been to CRO's concerts, a lot of the stuff that you see there, they did for the first time at this concert. Um, and it sold out. There was a lot of hype that, that was building around them. Um, and basically everyone, like when people talk about going to this concert, they say like it just completely blew them away. Um, and so the... Augustus Birgen, the Smeklesa, the the label, was hoping to sell maybe a thousand to fifteen hundred copies in the first year, and so they printed fifteen hundred copies, sold out in a matter a matter of days. 
<laughs> um, and they... Other funny thing is that a bunch of them couldn't play because of an accident with a glue gun. Um, <laughs> but just like this massive, they just exploded. Um, um, so yeah, why, why did I do this? Like, here's the history of this album up to this point. Um, there's kind of two reasons here, which is one, I think we can more clearly see the way this is tying with my bloody Valentine here. Um, but yeah. also I think it, it's very contrary to the way that a lot of Western criticism, like American criticism, criticism, <coughs> criticism, especially, but also like, you know, English speaking world generally, um, talked about CROs, which is almost like these alien beings that were kind of just discovered doing this weird thing and there's like no grounding in any of the context of how are they a part of like an actual scene that's happening in Iceland. Um, like part of them coming up is specifically them getting noticed by these bigger names tied to like the Smeklesa label, which is tied to the sugar cubes and like what Bjork's doing. Um, so how are they like tied into all of this um, being sort of specifically brought up um, you know, kind of considered a joke at first, but people see like a promise in them and are, are, are working on that. Um, and then I'll get experience still this like extremely ambitious thing that kind of blows up in a way that feels unexpected, even in Iceland. Um, and also just completely explodes like in the U S in a way that, um, I don't think anyone really expected even like, Fat Cat Records, which was the the UK label that they signed to um, shortly after this came out in, in Iceland, which is tied to um, Bjork's, like, you know, private label, One Little Indian, um, which is a weird name for a label. I'm just going to say that, Bjork. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> Very true. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone, like, really expected how big this album was going to get, uh, especially in like an international scale. Um, and yet all of it is specifically coming out of what is happening in Iceland at the time. And really the one thing that like CROs is bringing to it is that like, they are listening to my bloody Valentine. They've specifically talked about that. <laughs> and that is just a thing that a lot of bands at the time, like weren't folding into their sound. Um, they weren't trying to find like, how do we do really loud guitar music in the same way? Um, a lot more of it was, was firmly in, especially kind of what had come from the sugar cubes, which was, um, this approach to making punk music that was like, Oh, let's do like poppy Dadaist stuff. Like let's, let's make pop music as like the joke, the joke being, uh, no band from Iceland is ever going to get as big as the sugar cubes did. So, but let's like all play at this pop and this like world domination or death, which is a, a big thing with the sugar cubes. Um, let's like play at this, like, Oh, we're making this really poppy music and it's all kind of tongue in cheek. And it's all kind of like laughing at pop music and CROs kind of came in and we're just like, yeah, we're going to do this like weird thing. Like, Another thing that they've talked about is they briefly considered re-recording all of these songs in English when they were um, sort of reworking it before the, the re release in Iceland. And part of it was like, eh, that's just, like, why would we do that? P only people in Iceland are going to listen to this anyway. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> and it's just not how it went at all. 
Um, but also, I was then listening to this when I was in high school, especially, um, and not just listening to the the music, but like getting into the scene, starting to understand the scene, starting to learn the language and figuring stuff out and began to really brush against like, how am I hearing most people talk about this band? And then what am I actually seeing with it? Um, and so the big reason that I have out, like, I think when I was first going to guess for the very first time on hot singles, I was talking about potentially bringing a guy to Spirian, and I was talking to you, Regs, and I found these messages and screenshotted them so that I can mm. read them here. Um, I was telling you about how even back, like, with Algaris Burian, they're a queer band. They're a band that is, like, at times specifically singing about, like, Yonzi's singing about being a gay man. Um, and you're like, I just never knew this. Like, the version that you saw is the version that I think a lot of people in the West have seen, which is this very, like, oh, incomprehensible. They're singing in gibberish. It's like Hopelandic or whatever, or Hopelandish. Um, it's all of this kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, it is like unattainable in some sense. Um, whereas really the content of the lyrics are like very personal. Um, and so you said, um, fucking, I literally just looked up a translation of the track I remember. And like, you make hats fly into the air. You turn umbrellas inside out too often. Oh no, don't. Oh, you blow roofs off of the stormy sea. You stroke hair and blow <laughs> hems, prankster boy. <laughs> um, and then you said, I have no idea if that's a good translation, but uh, gay IMO, <laughs> gay and good. <laughs> um, yeah. And, that. Yeah. <laughs> and like, so I'm going to, I'm just going to send you this image right here. Let me just copy this image and send it in chat. Um, so 11 or no, 10 days after Algarisperian comes out, in Iceland, this is the cover of one of the main music magazines promoting the band and their album. I'm just going to upload this right here. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> this is not the version of the band that I think you ever see in the U.S. Um, I don't know if no, anyone wants no, to describe no. this. <laughs> uh, um. we, we see on the cover three people. Um on the right of the image is a man in a uh, in a three-piece suit um, with a stiffened collar and a top hat and a cane, looking surprised. Um, seated, looking off sc- uh, off um, off stage to the right. In the middle of the image is a man in a large, flowing, floor-length dress, uh, holding a parasol. Um, and in his left hand, a large chain. And in the foreground at the man on the dress's feet is someone naked, grinning at the camera with a chain around his neck, um, which is being held. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so this is what, you know, in 1999, this is what CRS is in Iceland. In 2000, here's what Cierros is in the U.S. And I'm going to read from, I found the original album review from Pitchfork, which they no longer have on their website, but uh, Wayback Machine exists. You can't hide this from me, Pitchfork. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I'm going to read a little bit here. <laughs> Icelandic lore tells of the hidden people who live in... This is the beginning of the review. Christ! Of the hidden Christ, people. Even I'm upset, and I've only had three words. <laughs> who live in the crags of lava and jagged mountains. Descended from the oh ancient guardian spirit, the hidden people come in many forms. The tiny Bloma Alver dwell in dwell in flower blossoms while the common bua alver reside on farms even in this modern age of cell phones and helicopters icelanders continue to believe that the hidden people are still out there somewhere construction workers would even curve roads around rumored dwellings of the hidden people how can a modern people find faith in such fantasy a heavy cloud of Norse mythology and a breathtaking raw landscape explains much of it the indigenous music of Sierros can only perpetuate such a religion this is the first paragraph of the review. You've managed to exoticize um, Nordic people. How have you managed to do this? <laughs> this form of exoticization is incredibly common with a lot of stuff from Iceland. Um, it happened yeah, with Sierros. Yeah. It also happens with Björk, who is often described as being very elfish and um, all of yeah. that as well. Like this, this attachment to elves is just a thing that America loves to do with, with Iceland. And... Um, I mean, the Icelandic tourism industry really lashes onto that, but uh, fuck the Icelandic tourism industry. Um, it's destroying the it's Icelandic reasonable. landscape and uh, also driving a lot of people out of downtown Reykjavik. Um, but anyway, as it goes on, there are some moments where, uh, you know, starts to describe this album a little bit more, talk about the music, um, Refers to Yonzi as a siren. Um, after saying the first or the full name of any of the people, then continues to refer to their patronymic, which is in Iceland not a surname. Uh, it is literally your dad, your dad's name, with son or daughter, at the end because you are their son or daughter. <laughs> um, in some <laughs> cases, you might have your mother's name. Like, you might have a matronymic, um, but usually it is a patronymic. And to do it is very weird. It would be like referring to me all the time after you first say my full name as, like, Leonard's daughter. Like, why the fuck are you doing this? Um, there are typos. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know how to put accents on some of these. They do on some of the the characters but not others uh they misspell Kjartan's name <laughs> um this thing is full of like this degree of they're hearing this album and they are injecting all of this like sense of what it must be to create music in Iceland um in a way that is again it is deeply exoticizing and it, it is also um like I, I'm going to read this line Siren Jónthor Bergesen sings through every orifice, including gills, perhaps, creating the most inhuman vocals ever heard in rock. Um, although Skywalker Sound could attempt a Chewbacca-esque approximation by blending whales, Jeremy uh, Enik, Cherubs, Björk, and the blue alien from the fifth element. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Bro. Um... If you try to find this I mean, now, they, they put up a retrospective. <laughs> I'm glad, but also, like, I'm always here for pitchfork fashion, but, like, usually it's because they're, like, up their own asses. This is just, like, mm. what is yeah. this? It's, it's, when we talk about exoticization, it's the, like, gross projection of 
imagined versions of things onto it. Like it's a managing to ignore the actual content in front of you in favor of the like imaginary reconstruction of it that you have in your head. And just like the imaginary reconstruction is far less interesting than the actual content itself. <laughs> um, I'm also going to just like read a little bit. So th- this is a quote from uh, George of the band. Uh, we always hated this elf rubbish, and I've always had low tolerance for the question of whether Iceland has affected our music. I think the answer is so obvious. It's like asking an electronic musician from Berlin whether the city has had an effect on him. Of course it fucking does. Your surroundings are always will always be influential. When you are born and raised in some country, of course that has an effect on you. And it's just like, yes, of course we have Icelandic music. We're making music in, like, in an Icelandic scene, but what the fuck are you doing talking about elves and like the landscape and shit? Like, <laughs> we... we we are we are a part of like a musical community um mm. and the part that then always infuriated me was how much um this frame of it effaced so much of what like the band was actually talking about and was actually trying to get at in the music um and i'm going to read the uh, a final part from this pitchfork review that um so this is the the second to the last line Children will be conceived, wrists will be slashed, scars will be healed, and tears will be wrenched by this group. This is an album that very specifically talks about Yonzi's self-harming because he is scared that he's a gay person in a homophobic society. And it is only in this final moment, like, in any way touching on it, and it's just saying, oh, this is a powerful record that people might slash their wrists to. Um... And as someone who cut my wrist to this, like, yes, it was. But I was doing it knowing what this fucking album was about. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. In a way that just, like, is not at all... uh, This understanding I don't think exists at all in, um, like, broad popular understanding of this band. I'm going to send a link to... We're not going to do the three, two, one because really you should skip ahead a little bit in this music video, like just hop around. Um, in particular, like maybe w- catch a, cu- a few scenes and then go to like 545. Um, this is for the Laft- uh, Laft- Very specifically, a song about realizing that you are gay and feeling like the, the title translates to. Um, so like Lafta Rasa is um airstrikes <laughs> is what the term is here. Um and I'm I'm trying to think of like what's the best way to um translate Vitharvel. Um Yeah, if you kind of <laughs> click around a little mm-hmm. and see, like very specifically it is there there are scenes of two boys kissing and then people tearing them apart. Um so good weather mm. for airstrikes would be a way to translate this. Um, and some, I'm going to like try and translate some of this a little bit on the fly. Um, the anthem that we wrote together. Um, we had our dream, had everything. We rode to the end of the world. We rode searching. Climbed to skyscrapers that later exploded. <laughs> um, 
I've now gotten to an ad in the YouTube video, but so I'm closing. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, this is like there. Are, so some some things about the lyrics that are are really pointed to to me having like any understanding of the language. Um, you know, Starlvir is like it translates to like kind of staring elf. Um, and so it is one that you could like perhaps most directly tie to this like hidden people, whatever the fuck Pitchfork is doing. Um, if you actually like understand the lyrics, there's this part where, so basically it's narrating like I'm going to bed and I, I'm like having this dream that I, I'm seeing this like little elf looking at me. Um, and then it gets to the part where it's, um, uh, Open the eye and like I open my eyes, uh, stare on the er like the like, basically the crust in your eyes, like the sleep from the eyes, like you're wiping them out. Um, then, uh, tell for I stretch myself and check if I haven't. <laughs> is a song that at the end is specifically being like I'm having this dream about a boy in my room and then I wake up and check to see if I came in my pants or not <laughs> this is what the lyrics are about this is what this song is about <laughs> um it, it is like all over like knee battery is a song that is just full of lyrics of like it's the most like self-harmy song on this album um and so all of this is is in this record and is specifically talking about this like very painful queer experience that i think yonsi is going through and that like hit me a lot as well um, and so this is the other part that I become like irrationally angry about, which is that a lot of fans in America and like Pitchfork also kind of fell into this. Um, when CROs takes a turn towards happier sounds with Tak and Masuthi Aram Vespilum Endelist, it was seen as like a departure from what the the good stuff that the band was doing, that they were like selling out or um, not doing as interesting work anymore. And specifically, like I think Meth Sooth is a, an album where you feel this most intensely. That is an album that is about like the joy of being queer and actually having hope for like yourself and that you can like express that. It is like an album about queer euphoria. Um, and I think it's very significant to me that gobbledygook one has the title that means like this is gibberish which is how so many people talked about their lyrics um and it is one of the only songs that they have ever actually given english translations for which has the this is um like you make hats fly into the air you turn umbrellas inside out too often oh no don't um you blow roofs out into the stormy sea you stroke hair and blow hem prankster boy um yeah, I remember this is the only one that specifically they... saying to you, like, yeah, <laughs> I remember this exact moment where I was like, I remember, we'll get onto, like, how we feel about the, the content of the album itself, but, like, I remember specifically falling in love with Metzoth and specifically with Gobbledygook because it's got this, like, rabid, like, kinetic, like, like, energy to it. And I had no idea what the lyrics were. I couldn't find out what the lyrics were. <laughs> And then just realizing that, like, no, it's this, like, incessant queer joy is just, like, it was genuinely really stunning and really, really exciting to hear. Yeah. As we talked through this when the I, last time we, we got to it. Um, one of the other ones, so the next song, um, Inimer Singer, which is, like, Inside Me, A Lunatic Sings, 
um, the final lines of it, uh, it's all this thing of like, you know, the intensity of like love is essentially what they're describing throughout the song. Towards the very end, um, Yonzi sings, and it's specifically the male form of, I see you waking up, I see you naked. Like, I see you naked, and the naked is the male one, meaning I'm seeing a naked man, <laughs> basically. Um, and so, so much, so much of it, too, is just the fact that, like, these are love songs, and these are love songs that are grammatically talking about a male lover um, in a way that is hard to also even translate, Um if you look at translations for any male singer, singer, you're going to see like, I see you wake, I see you naked and sign me a lunatic sings. And you don't get that. Those lines are, are gay. <laughs> um, he's a man singing about another man. Um, and so, yeah, it, it is all over the album. And in this way that um, like the, the entire trajectory that like, it was incredibly important for me that like I walked down the aisle to Olson Olson and then we left to uh Happy Potla when I got married the intentionality of doing one from the depressed album the one that's the most like processional but still from the super depressed album and then doing one that is from the, a happier album was specifically something important for me talking about like I am doing better now <laughs> um and that's what the trajectory of this band was for me, um, especially through like Matt Sooth. And so to see that, like get reduced to, Oh, they are doing this like loud, angry music. And now it's a little bit happier and poppier and that's bad. Um, just always sat like so weird with me. Um, especially because so much of what Matt Sooth is doing is like pulling on the stuff that's happening in Crute that like Moom were doing, like it is more directly engaging with, um, the Icelandic scene in a way that they hadn't before. Um, and all of that gets effaced if your perspective on it is this, like, very, um, like, Iceland is this just exotic land and CROs just kind of are elves who come out of the woodwork and uh, sing about volcanoes erupting. Like, <laughs> um, Do they have so, yeah. any lines about volcanoes erupting? Or are they entirely as metaphors for ejaculation? <laughs> uh, they might have lines about... Uh, volcanoes erupting but it is probably either about um ejaculation or also p potentially about like self-destructive behavior cool um, good <laughs> wonderful god, god i got the vibrate at least yeah <laughs> anyway i have now ranted how do people feel about this album <laughs> so it's very hard to say to someone who's like so desperately like knowledgeable and into a record that like I don't think this is the album for me the reason is though it's something that I brought up with the MBV it's beautiful this album is stunningly beautiful but it, in, it I often listen I've listened to this album many many times it's been an album that I like have had on with family in the background it's an album we all know that we love and can listen to at any point um, but it's got a kind of prettiness about it and that like there are lots of different moments. I think about the, um, the, uh, missing it now. Sorry. Again, it's hard to navigate an album where you can't understand the track titles. <laughs> Apologies. Um, if you describe the moment, I might know it. <laughs> I'm losing it. I thought it was in the first four tracks and it's clearly not. Um, 
Um, sorry, let me just actually like talk and stop trying to like ask around with the with the tracks. Um, there are moments in this album that are abrasive, but they often, on a very very basic technical level, place abrasion further back in the sound field. Um, things are t- uh, like tight and angular, but they are further away in distance, mostly just by being lower in volume. And what's up front is a warm balm of like low synth and guitar that just like envelops you in a very like comforting and beautiful and pleasant and sometimes slightly suffocating claustrophobic way. And I think that's where the beauty of this album comes from. And I love it for that. It's also an album that like, I find it very hard to find catharsis in this album because it hasn't got the thing that I'm so desperately in love with from MVB, which is the like, the like, the the physicality and the impact of those sour elements actually striking me in the fucking face, and like, that's why I really really love Meth Sooth as a as like a counterpoint, um, because it it doesn't like shy away from the kind of impact even if obviously it's like got an entirely different emotional tone. Um, but like, that is something that I've like so desperately wanted from even very pretty music. I would love it to like grab me at the chest uh, from my chest and like drag me forwards. Um, but yeah, God, this album's beautiful. Like th- this is the thing. Like I, I also fully, I'm fully aware that like at different points in my life, I've needed albums like this. Uh, the, the other album I was thinking about, a lot with this is again in terms of like how deliberate the prettiness is is i've talked about this album ton is both um i can hear the heart beating as one and uh and yeah and then nothing turned itself inside out the like imo two best yola tango albums um which are not in the like i don't know about in dialogue with but like they're 97 and 2000. They're very much contemporaneous. And yeah. the, the thing that I find so compelling about the kind of beauty, the very similar kind of delicacy and beauty, de- which is dependent on that like low, warm, in that case, organ and guitar parts. Um, and the, the like resonance in the like drone, in the, in the like warm drone that they have, is that the the whole thing that's so special for me about Yola Tango is that it feels entirely incidental, the fact that they've made very beautiful music. It feels like they are making music that could basically be 60s pop songs that just happen to have become expansive and pretty and noisy and, like, sparkly enough to suddenly sound gorgeous. Whereas Sigaross's kind of beauty is a very deliberate, very constructed and very composed kind of beauty. And it's, it, again, different tones, different emotional registers that each get hit by the the different ways of like building your palette um i can totally imagine there are there are moments where i've wanted a joanna newsom record and i could have put this on instead um but yeah i i'm, I'm fascinated by it at the same time as i know like the things that have filled this space for me are slightly different um and that's okay one one question i have is have you ever seen them live no absolutely not and i can i can almost certainly think that you hear you they play this live and that like warm balm of mid-range turns into just like a fucking wall of sound and sometimes yeah. squall like 
I know, but another band that comes to mind is Low. Um, I'll talk about Low later because I might bring a Low album for a hot single soon. But yeah, slowcore is like a, a, a like a package of sounds. Um, uh, Sven, uh, I, Sven Gerengler, if I'm pronouncing that at all correctly. <laughs> Sven Gerengler. There we go. Um, yeah, feels like it could be genreified as slowcore. That doesn't feel like a stretch. Um, uh, slowcore for anyone who's not familiar with micro genres created by the mid '90s music press was something that was occasionally attached to Yola Tango, particularly low as the like paradigmatic band of the genre. Um, very minimal, very slow paced, very spacious and expansive and quiet indie rock um, that was like the coming out of particularly the Midwest, but broadly the states in the like early to mid '90s. And that slowly has just become a sort of laughing stock because clearly everyone was trying to like make something a, a fair bit more scary and a bit more insidious and a bit more like emotionally impactful than very pretty quiet indie music sounds. Um, and the thing that happens when I've seen Low live and I've seen them live twice now is when they play those songs, um, they are noise rock. <laughs> they are about as fucking loud as you can get. And they are some of the best live shows I've ever seen. Um, and I can imagine exactly the same thing happening with Sigurus. Yeah, I, I. So much of their sound is this like dynamics in a way that it mm-hmm. is different than um, like MBV, and it is something that live just really hits you. And also, like I have vinyls of the records that I own from them and putting it on a vinyl where I feel like you can just hit that dynamic range better often, mm-hmm. um, especially oh, compared yeah. to like listening on Spotify um, and like laying down and just putting on like my big can headphones and just cranking it um, also will just like really give me what I want from this album, which is that I, it is like a very dark brooding um, angry and like hurting album to me. Um, and it's, it's one that like, I realized I should do it in the episode about MBV because, um, like there are other times where I'm just like, I don't know if I want to talk about the, the self-harm gay album, (laughs) um, if I'm not like (laughs) grounding it in this history. Um, yeah. Anyway, Autumn, you've been quiet. You, you did realize that you had listened to this album a bunch when you started re-listening to it. Yeah, so yesterday, um, yesterday? Ah, whatever. Um, I was, like, I was getting worried because with the week I've had at work, like, I just hadn't put much time into any of the albums we talked about other than, wait, other than MBV a little bit, but anyway. Uh, and I was getting worried, it's like, I don't know if we can do this episode, like, I'm fucked up from work. And I realized, to my delight, that I had actually heard this album, like, a hundred times or some shit. Um, because, um, uh, there was a, there was a time in high school, I've talked about this before, where, like, um, like, I was falling asleep to, like, Netflix every night. And at some point, like, I switched that out for music for a little while, because the flashing lights were too much for me. And I remember... At this time, like, putting on Sierros, because somebody told me post-rock was good music to fall asleep to. Um, uh, but 
generally found what's happening on this album like too interesting and so i started putting on mogwai because i found mogwai more boring <laughs> um which is not a shot at mogwai it's but... kind of a shot at mogwai but i i also did give a very similar shot at mogwai earlier in the podcast so i think we're two for two mm-hmm. um can i can i tell my quick mogwai story <laughs> yeah um, I saw them at Curiosa. I was one of literal, literally 10 people in a giant stadium watching them play. Um, and the next day they posted on their uh, webpage, uh, just in case people didn't know, we did play Curiosa yesterday. Uh, thank you to the 10 people who showed up. <laughs> um, nice. My only Mogwai story was I saw them as one of the first bands I saw post lockdown in the UK at a summer festival this year. And very pretty, very loud noise was exactly what the fuck I needed as a sort of big cathartic like wash to get me to get me out of the like I haven't heard music in in a year and a half, two years. Funk it was very very important. Like I, the, I, some of the new stuff is frankly boring as releases, but hearing what Wef is saying <laughs> loud is just yeah. I, I needed that. It was very good. Yeah, uh, like, do you near? Do you have like closing thoughts about this record, uh, or, or more just like moments, elements of it, like the the, um, the the raw sound of it that you want to talk about before you wrap? I feel like I feel like I'm good overall with this album. Um, yeah, it, it is an album that I find just like I continue to. At the time, I found it deeply fascinating, and now. Um, it's an album that is like sometimes difficult for me to go back to just because of so much of what I think it is, which is like this time and place that I went through and that I don't always want to go back to. Um, I will happily put on Masuth any day. Um, this album is like sometimes too sad for me. <laughs> um, but and I think some of that is just my own personal experiences tied up in like mm. my understanding of what this album is. Um, I mean, I, I'm just like, there are many albums that people do and don't listen to because they're like yeah. quite so emotionally <laughs> intense. But this is a pretty good pick in that case, like so much built into it um yeah sounds like we're gonna wrap up here is that right so yeah we admin stuff we do I guess basically have a bit of admin to discuss like right this is normally the part of the podcast where we pick albums to do next time i don't have that in me right now <laughs> um i um listeners Maybe I've heard, maybe I've not. And just had a very hard time in my job lately. I've mentioned, you know, on this podcast, I, like, relapsed into, like, you know, nicotine usage because of my job this week. You know? <laughs> um, like, and Hot Singles asks for a lot of me outside the show in a way that, like, Gotham, I just watched 20 minutes of Batman. You know? Um, like, you know, Stairwells, we watched the movie and do the podcast all as like one session. And so like, it's a little easier on me. Um, like I, 
I don't have album picks for hot singles right now because, like, I'm not saying that I am stepping away from the podcast. I am saying that, like, right now, the way that we do hot singles is not something that I personally can keep up with. And so, in the near future, you might hear, like, just bullshit episodes, just, like, you know, episodes of a slightly smaller format. If we think of something we want to cover, like, you know, in the break, Nia was like, um, we could talk about, like, you know, the newest nephew song, because the newest nephew song is amazing. <laughs> yeah, this is Grandmaster Flash beat. This old Cassidy, Gilly the Kid, Philly beat. Oh, dirty ass neck braid, meat mill beat. This a dirty do rag, Memphis bleak type beat. This a fat Benny Siegel neck, Philly cheese type beat. They should have sent this beat to Reed Dollars or son. This ain't for RSK, this for Hitman Holler or son. This old battle rapping beat. This old loaded Lux, a honey white tea type beat. This old droopy lip ass, my song ass type beat. This beat sound like Dame Dash with a signing nigga for rapping on it. This beat sound like Rick Ross and sign you for capping on it. This a beat that Jay Z would have thought was high. This a beat the labels would have invested in and made everybody flop. If I put this beat on my album, they ain't even gonna copy. I don't give a fuck if you don't buy my shit, I'ma keep on dropping. This beat sound like a bitch granddaddy just died. This beat make me feel like I'm the last human on earth alive. Who the fuck sent me this beat? They dead wrong. They should have sent this shit to DJ K Slay and Cameron. They should have sent this shit to Pat Poos or one of them dumb niggas. They should have sent this beat to Ja Rule and Fat Joe to do a versus. Can't wait till this beat end. This shit got my ears hurting. This beat got me quitting beat placements for the day. Cause of this beat, this my last beat placement today. It's the best fucking thing. <laughs> we could also talk about what I had planned. Um, in in case you know this recording didn't happen, uh, which was for us to talk about the Sumerian shade. <laughs> the what? The the <laughs> the like Silence of the Lambs song. <laughs> oh. oh God! Yeah, I was just gonna. I was just gonna force you both to think about Sufian Stevens again no. and this <laughs> Autumns of the Lamsa. <laughs> My starling flies into the rainbow, lost in the mist, chrysalis, kill your idols. Say. I okay. told you to be okay. scared. Oh, I okay. No. We're gonna circle back to this because I have a metaphor, mm-hmm. but I just want to finish admin stuff, yeah. which is just that, like, it, it, it is also possible slash likely that you'll hear like more episodes with Boo in the near future. Um, it's just that we were planning like more episodes with m- me, Regs, and Boo, and it might just be like the two of you or something. Like, I just don't have space for like reviewing albums in my life right now Mm -hmm. um and or maybe you know um next week i message regs and like oh what if we just picked like two like easy albums (laughs) like what if i just picked you know like an album that i like but don't have a strong like emotional attachment to where i need to tell you like a you know a life story 
Like Curtis. We could talk about Curtis, the first Curtis Mayfield record, you know? <laughs> How does the, anyway, I feel like it, that, that was such a specific pool. I feel like that must have a story attached to it, but we're not going to go into that now. I, the story is I am in my music B and I'm scrolling up and down. And I was like, oh, there's an album that I like a lot and wouldn't have much to say Fair. about. Fair. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, I guess that's it is like no album picks right now because like we just have to like find some like slightly different shape of the podcast for let's say until like January when I'm settled and by then we'll be able to do this again. I, I kind of think we'll be able to do this again before January. I'm just like hedging listeners. Like that is, that is my like doom and gloom forecast is like no regular hot singles for like three months, you know, possibly sooner, possibly like regular hot singles with different people. But yeah. Um, the thing though that I will say is this gives us the opportunity to be like, hey, big news. We are going to have Buon as a hopefully regular host and contributor, which is fucking yeah. awesome. And I'm very, very excited yeah. because I don't know about yes. you, but that chat we had with Boo was one of the most fun chats we've had on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I literally, within 20 minutes of starting the podcast, was like, we need to make Boo like a regular cast member. It was, it was um, the, the, the baseline was we literally had the same thought within half an hour of that conversation of, of getting on the way. And then we messaged each other this about two hours <laughs> later. And now it's going to happen. And I'm the happiest I've ever been. Um, yeah. So, so. Um, what this means is like, we just need to sort out what the format is. But you will hear more people. Mm. You'll probably have a bunch of guests. It might just be me and Boo for a bit. But that's not a bad thing because Autumn gets yeah. a breather, which is a very well earned and deserved breather. And Boo gets to come on and do her thing. And a bunch of guests get to come and hang out with a new person, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. And you get to do um, EDM episodes where you're not just like dragging me. <laughs> <laughs> okay to be fair to be very specific we would not do edm because we are cultured um we would do dance music we would do electronic music we would not do edm i genuinely do said i genuinely said edm both as out of a sort of like that's just what all that music is to me like dismissiveness and also intentionally antagonizing I... you because i knew that was a bad impulse on my yep. end entirely fair this entire podcast is just a vehicle for you to get under my skin and you did it very very successfully right there so you know stay winning um honestly i kind of want to like use a bit of a break to like just listen to albums that i'm not reviewing i have Mm. no promises that i'm going to be able to do that but like that is like part of the goal is just like incorporate more music into my day-to-day life that i'm not having to like you know, work, think about and turn with, yeah. over in my head and yeah. Um, I mean, hey, um, if if the goal of Hot Singles was get Autumn listening to music, hopefully 25 uh, episodes worth of it might have had some impact. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if it hasn't, then fuck it. We have a good, good podcast and still dysfunctional media habits. It's now not the first. Yeah. Not the first time that's happened. The other thing I realized in, in doing this podcast is that... Um, my my media habits have always been sort of the same way, and I, you know, it's fine. Yeah, it's, fine. it's just good. It's okay. I've always been a little dysfunctional, you know. We lean into the things that we are 
the, that we have the capacity for <laughs> and the proclivities for. So, <sighs> so um, plugs. Plugs. Nia, where can people find you on the internet? Um, you can find me at your Junez. Uh, that's your underscore Junez. Where oh, I oh fuck <laughs> off. You can find me at Fox Mom Nia on Twitter. Um, that's that's where I do. Honestly, not that much posting anymore. Uh, you have to be able to follow my locked account to get my real posts. But um, yeah, you can go listen to my other podcast, Ghost Divers. It's an anime podcast on the Export Audio Network, um, exportaudio slash Ghost Divers. Um, You're just finishing up the season that I guessed it on. Yeah, like... I don't know exactly when this episode is going out, but uh, the when we're recording this on Friday is the last discussion episode, and then it will be the question bucket. Um, and then we're doing Utena next, which is just an incredible anime. Um, and Maybe you've heard of it. Also have a podcast with you, Autumn, called Ornate Stairwells, where we watch What's movies. That? You literally talked about it like <laughs> moments ago. Um, <laughs> What are we wa- we're watching Cat People next, right? Yeah, okay, we're watching cool, Cat cool, People. Cool, 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 cool. Um, it'll Wait, be fun. is that the name of a film, or is that a description of a film in which there are cat people? Um, we're just going to be watching Autumn, who is a cat person. <laughs> Sensible. <laughs> I, I also like to do this activity. Um, just scrolling through my media tab yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> it, is a, it is a 1942 Hays Code era film that is basically about how lesbians are evil. Um, but in the best possible messy way. Oh, I love it. Um, um, awesome. Where can people find you on the internet? You could find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. Um, if you subscribe to the Patreon, exportaudio.io, there's links to all the shows that I do, um, like stairwells like this, like um, Gotham City Limits. Um, oh, I realized that stairwells actually isn't on the Patreon, like, listed. <laughs> oh, I probably haven't updated it since we started Patri- uh, since we started stairwells. So yeah. I'll do that. Um, also, if I have been having trouble with all our, you know, export odd.io slash hot singles or slash Batman. So if you also have been having trouble with that, the Patreon is a great place to go to get a <laughs> like just n- find those links. Nice directory. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I tried exportaudio slash ASME earlier today, and it worked just fine. Okay, good to know. Good to know that that's still up. Um, and that just leaves me to say, you can find me on Twitter, at Regression, with three S's. Don't forget the third S. And that's probably the place yeah. to follow me if you want newest updates about upcoming hot singles, because that's definitely where there's going to be content coming from. Uh, this has been a pleasure. Um, thank you very much, Nia, for coming on. Um, let's get out of here.